there are various forms of what are sometimes called nonverbal communication. That is, communication that we have with others that doesn't involve words. It's nonverbal. Some of these forms would be gestures and our posture, our dress, even how close we stand to someone, a spatial relationship, touch. Those are all uh, forms of non-verbal communication, but probably the most important form uh, has to do with our facial expressions, or what the Bible calls our countenance. It, the countenance may involve more than just the face, but that's the primary thing when we think of a person's countenance. We think of their face. And there is actually quite a bit of information on that subject in the scriptures. So I thought what we could do this evening is just take a little time to look at what the Bible has to say about our countenance. And uh, we're kind of going to begin on the negative side, and that's why... I had you turn to Isaiah chapter 3 because verse 9 says this, talking about those who have rebelled against God. Verse 9, The expression of their faces bears witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them. So the expression of their faces bears witness against them. Um, actually the King James says uh, the way King James translates that is the show of their countenance what's coming forth on their countenance shows that they were in rebellion against God and all we're saying here basically is the truth that comes out so often in the scriptures and that is what's inside usually comes out some form, uh, often in our speech, but it, even if we can hold that in sometimes, it's coming out some other ways, and one of the ways is our expressions, and that's what was happening here. The expression of their faces was bearing witness against them. Sin affects our face. Now, I want to give you some examples of that. For instance, sinful anger. Now, not all anger, we know that not all anger is sinful, but a lot of it is. And it usually shows up on the face. Um, let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. I'm not saying we're always aware of this. In fact, a lot of times I think we're not aware of what we're saying to other people by our expressions. Well, anyway, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3, we're dealing with Cain and Abel here. And you remember the situation. We'll just start in at verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground and Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, 
he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. In other words, the anger produced a display on his face and it was a fallen uh, expression. He was mad, angry, discouraged, uh, probably a lot of different emotions, but it, it all came out in the area of his facial expression. His countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fa fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Well, you know the rest of the story. Anger here definitely was sinful. It was directed against God, so you know it had to be sinful. And I, like I say, there's more than anger. There's probably self-pity and a lot of other things mixed in here. But this emotion definitely distorted Cain's countenance. His countenance fell, and it, there was a downward spiral, spiral from there on in his life. If he would have repented, his countenance, the Lord said, would have been lifted up. But he didn't. He refused, and the result then was the first murder on earth. So sinful anger and how it expressed itself in Cain's countenance. Now, that was a, I think, a very brief period there of anger. But you know, uh, anger, if it's held on to, will not just momentarily distort your face. It'll make your face distorted as a permanent feature. Some people are angry for years and years. Sometimes I think maybe... That's some of what's called bitterness. There's just a bitterness of spirit that's held on to. One person said, anger punishes itself. And I think that's true. You can see what it does to a person's face sometimes. So, this area of anger and bitterness. But let's go on to an even bigger one. And a lot of these are really kind of a subset of this one. And that is pri pride. Pride often is very evident on a person's face. Uh, Proverbs 21, 24 says, Proud, haughty, scoffer are his names who acts with insolent pride. So the haughtiness, the haughtiness that you can see, you see, uh, if there is a proud heart, it often will show on the face. It's one of the sins that God hates. Pride, God hates. And listen to the way he says it in uh, Proverbs 6.16. There, yeah, 6, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. See, you can see it in the eyes even. That proud, that pride of man. Uh, a lying tongue, well, it goes on, names seven. But the first one is haughty eyes. There's a look, you see, that goes along with spurning God. Uh, Proverbs 30, 13 says, There is a kind, oh, how lofty are his eyes, 
and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. So, pride displayed in a haughty countenance. Um, you, you know, you'll see it in the so-called gay pride marches. There's a haughtiness that's there on the faces. Psalm 10, verse 4, The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek God. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So that haughtiness uh, that comes across in uh, some proud people's countenance. Now, there's an area that kind of goes along with that. Uh, and, uh, well, I, let me just read the verse. It's pretty obvious here. Proverbs 6.24, To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. So there's that aspect. It's a you know kind of a aspect of pride, the uh, the flirtatious look. It's a form of pride. Um, so that's another area that the Bible talks about the countenance, a sinful countenance, uh, the the flirtatious or sensual look that comes across. Now this next one has to do with guilt and the fact that guilt should should produce a shame and a blushing in a person's face. And when it doesn't, that's that's sin upon sin, you might say. Um because it's possible that people can harden their hearts to such an extent, uh, extent that they're not ashamed for their sin. A hard heart often produces a hard countenance, no shame, a brazen boldness that comes across in a, in a sinful person's countenance. Um, Jeremiah 8.12 Were they ashamed because of the abominations they had done? They certainly were not ashamed, and they did not know how to blush. See, it's an indictment against them, not just that their sin, but they weren't even ashamed of their sin. Uh, <clears throat> Proverbs 21.19, or 21.29, A wicked man displays a bold face, but as for the upright, he makes his way sure. Now, again, this is kind of a, another aspect of pride, this lack of shame. For sin, and again here you see the harlot mentioned. Uh, and behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the square, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face, she says to him, "I was due to offer peace offerings today. I have paid my vows." Even a religious aspect to this harlotry, a brazen face. In other words, no shame for the sin. <clears throat> uh, the next area would have to do with worry and fear. Worry and fear. Um, and these produce 
an effect on the countenance. One good example of this would be in Daniel chapter 5, verse 5, at this feast of Belshazzar. Um, you remember the situation there? They were taking the gold and silver uh, vessels that had been taken from the temple and they were drinking out of them. It was pretty much a, a drunken feast. And it says this then, Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts were alarmed, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. Well, it affect more than just his face, but it did, it did affect his face. Uh, so fear affecting our face. And then you see in terms of worry or uh, that type of thing, uh, Ezekiel 27:35. All the inhabitants of the coastlines uh, are appa are appalled at you, and their kings are horribly afraid. They are troubled in countenance. In other words, because of fear, because of worry, there was this troubling of the countenance. And there would be many more examples of that in the scriptures. But the point is that fear and worry will show up in our facial expression. And then the area of sadness, disappointment, um, can produce a gloominess, a gloomy face. Um, the opposite, of course, Proverbs 15:13, a joyful heart makes a cheerful face. But we're talking about the opposite of that. But when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. Now, it's true that even in laughter, the heart can be in pain, but often that, that disappointment or sorrow is expressed in a sad face. And again, that's not always sinful. We'll look at that in just a minute. But a gloominess, I, I'd say, generally speaking, if, if you're noted for a gloomy expression, there's, there's, that's a sinful uh, countenance. Uh, so the point that we've made so far is that sinful attitudes can mar the countenance, and often without us even realizing. But other people see these things. You know, even if we can't, and we may not be looking in a mirror at the time, other people see us day in and day out, and they're looking at your face. And they're reading something there when they look. Um, and the question is, what are we communicating? We, we can't rightly communicate the good news of the gospel with our words and at the same time express anger and bitterness and pride and sensuality and guilt and hardness and fear and worry and sadness non-verbally with our countenance. I mean, they, they don't fit, you know. If we're going to express one thing with our countenance and then try to say, now I've got some good news to tell you, that's not going to work. You're communicating two things. But, let's turn the page here. For the Christian, things are different by the grace of God. I mean, we're not perfect in this, and I need as much help as anyone in the room. You can ask my wife about that. Every once in a while she'll say, Boy, you don't realize what you look like. 
sentence. He doesn't say that in a positive sense. <laughs> She's smiling now. Listen to this verse. Numbers 6.24 The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Now, if that's the case, if the Lord has made his face to shine upon us and lifted up his countenance uh, on us, surely that should be somewhat reflected in our countenance. That's the point we're making here on the positive side, that there should be a difference in our countenance because of the Lord making his face to shine upon us. So let me just say uh, on the po- uh, as we begin looking at this positive side that you don't have to have a happy face all the time to be pleasing to God. There are things in the Christian life that bring a proper and right sadness and sorrow and those things will show on our face. That's just the reality. Um, I think a good example of this would be Nehemiah. So let's turn to Nehemiah. All right. Um, Well, let me just give you a little background here. Ezra, Nehemiah, a little bit hard to find. Um, The situation here was that Nehemiah was in captivity in Susa, which was part of the Persian Empire, and he heard of the condition of Jerusalem and the people there his people and his former capital of the nation. What did he do when he heard those things? Well, it says he sat down and wept and mourned for days. Later on, he comes before this Persian king, King Artaxerxes, who, because he comes before him because he's this king's cupbearer. And When he does this, the king notices that he has a sad face. Well, let's just, if you're in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4 says, Now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So there's nothing sinful here about this sadness, this sorrow on his heart. But if you skip over to chapter 2, and we'll just read, I guess, five verses here. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad though you are not sick. Now, there's another point. Sometimes sickness can bring forth some sadness. But that's what he says, this is not the case with you, you're not sick. 
this is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, I prayed to God, and I said to the king, Well, I think we can learn some lessons here. There are things like sickness and sadness that can make the countenance fall and not be sinful. Uh, this This was a righteous concern that Nehemiah had here, a concern for his people, a concern for his uh, the glory of God, really, God's cause, was what really was on his heart. It's not a, it wasn't a sinful sorrow, you know, why are things the way they are with me, but uh, for God's cause and God's people. It was a sorrow for sin. You see that in, in uh, back in verse uh, 6, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, uh, it says, um, it talks about him praying and confessed, says, uh, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. I and my father's house have sinned. So there's this sorrow for sin. There's nothing wrong with that and for God's glory. Now, the thing I want to point out from this account that we read is that uh, this was not Nehemiah's normal countenance. Uh, he was not normally this way in the king's presence. You see that uh, at the end of verse 1 there in chapter 2. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Well, we can read right over that, but let's consider the situation that he had been in. All his life, he's been a captive in this Persian king's palace or or whatever type of a place it was. Um, he was... Um, a servant in a foreign land of a heathen king. That, you know, you could have been kind of downcast and gloomy about that. Well, he'd never been that way. It says, I had not been sad in his presence, which made it so when he did come in that way, the king noticed it right away. Something's wrong here. This is not the normal Nehemiah. Well, here would be the application then for us. We live in a fallen world, and we could go around gloomy all the time because of the way things are. Uh, And there are rightful times and seasons of sorrow. But this should not be the norm. It should not be the norm. Our countenance should be one that generally reflects God's goodness and grace to us and his kindness and patience with us. Paul, in the New Testament, speaking of uh, his situation, and he brings it out in kind of a many, he brings out kind of paradoxes almost. And one of them, he says, uh, sorrowful yet always rejoicing as sorrowful yet always rejoicing so there's many things to be sorrowful about and he says yet always 
rejoicing. Um, how can that possibly be? I mean, what's, what's the answer to that? We live in such a uh, uh, fallen and mixed up world. Well, I think the answer could possibly be along the lines of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 8.1. Let me just read this to you. Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. Let's, let's look that up because there's kind of a marginal reading of that. Ecclesiastes 8, 1. Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. And it can be translated or change. It causes his stern face to change. Now what's he saying here? Well, I think he may have been just speaking kind of in uh, the natural realm. Uh, you know, we when we get some insight into something, something especially we've been trying to figure out, and it's, you know, eating on you, you're kind of stern, you're trying to get this problem figured out, and suddenly you get it figured out. You figure out how to do this thing. Well, hey, uh, <laughs> that's the natural reaction. And that may be what uh, Solomon was talking about, but I think there is a spiritual application. The wisdom given to us through the gospel should cause our face to change or to beam, as it says. The realization that as Christians that our sins are forgiven and that our names are written in heaven and that no matter who's against us, God's for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? I mean, all those things, and hundreds of others, should cause our face to change. Be different than it was when we were just living in a world that doesn't have any answers to why they're even alive. In other words, a spiritual apprehension of the glory of the new covenant should generally make our face to shine. Now, that's, again, that's not saying there won't be times of sadness and sorrow, but generally we're talking about. Should generally give us a different countenance. The this kind of spiritual wisdom illumines a face and causes it to change. The wisdom, the insight into what God has done in Christ. Now, I think this is partly what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So let's turn there. He's talking about the new covenant and the old covenant and the contrast. 
And he says, and we'll just skip around here just a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in the letters engraven on stone came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to even to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation was glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory on account of the glory that surpasses it. The old, the, glory compared, the old glory compared to the new glory is nothing, you see. It's insignificant, far surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. And then if you skip down to 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So there was a glory on Moses' face when he received that old covenant, those, those written on stone. And uh, that glory, we're told here, was veiled, it was inferior, it was fading. There is in the new covenant that we've received as Christians a glory that's far superior, it's unveiled to us, and not fading, but rather is ever increasing from glory to glory. So Paul's saying here, as we behold the work of Christ, we're changed, you see, from glory to glory, and uh, it should affect our countenance. Looking unto Jesus makes us more like Jesus and will give us more of the countenance of the Lord. So, I guess the point I would want to bring home here then towards the end is just that um, isn't this a need for me and you? I think it is for me. You see, we tend to spend more time contemplating our problems than contemplating Christ. And consequently, that's going to affect our countenance. Let's turn to Psalm 42. We'll just close with a couple of psalms here. There's a way out of that predicament. Psalm 42, in verse 5. 
Why are you in despair, O my soul? Now, David had some things to despair of here. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. In other words, he's saying, I know that God will yet shine upon me. Hope in God. And then he says a very similar thing in verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. We're not talking about getting ourselves out of these doldrums. We're talking about trusting in God to bring us through and take care of us and be the help of our countenance. I think that David was, if it was David that wrote this, says a mystical of the sons of Korah. Well, whoever wrote it, I don't think they were in a particularly upbeat mode. Um, I think they were somewhat downcast. But the point is they determined, they were telling themselves, by the grace of God, I'm not going to stay like this. In other words, they weren't listening to themselves. They were talking to themselves. And they were telling themselves, this is not the way I'm going to be by the grace of God. Well, one more psalm then, and then we'll close. Uh, psalm 34, 4. Four and five, actually. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. And that's, would be, that would be a word for all of us here tonight. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. If we'll look, we can have some radiance. And we will have faces that never need to be ashamed. Well, our countenance, our countenance is part of our witness. It's part of our witness in a lost and dying world. Uh, part of our witness in a society that has many sad and lonely and depressed and despairing people, and they're going to look at your countenance and see if you're like that or not. Because if you're like that, there's not much use them talking to you. And we live in a society filled with strife and division and disunity and harshness and contention. If they see that on your face, there's not much 
reason to listen to you talk to them about Christ because you're saying something else with your countenance. And we live amongst people that are filled with fear and stress and worry. And if they see that on your face, then can you communicate and witness to them about the glories of the gospel? Our concern is the glory of God. And if that is our concern, then we need to ask God to help us to communicate rightly with our countenance and our words. But tonight we're just talking about that part of our nonverbal communication, our countenance. Well, let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us as we go about today in our homes, at work, at the uh, grocery store, to witness to the great grace and goodness of our God, not just through our words, but through our countenance. We need you, Father, to help us You are the help of our countenance. And uh, we're thankful that this is not us trying to pull ourselves up into something that's not real, but just to be made more and more aware of what is real concerning your great work in the lives of your people. Help us, Father, to walk in your truth and be better witnesses. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.